Today on Ag News Daily. We, because our industry does sit at the intersection of kind of the agricultural sector and the energy sector. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Tuesday, May 9th, 2017. You are listening to Ag News Daily. I am co-host Mike Pearson, joined remotely by my co-host Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm fantastic. Actually, I'm not. I've got a, uh, I don't know if it's a spider bite or a bug bite. It doesn't itch, but I've got this big lump on my arm, and I, I probably mm. quit picking at it. Probably. Maybe yeah. you have, like, rabies or something. Sca- scabies? Is that a word? Yeah, it is. I don't know what scabies are, but they don't sound fun. I think they're like little red bumpy things. Oh, well then, maybe that is what I had. Maybe it's just maybe. one bump. I don't know. Mm. You have chicken pox. That could, although I had chicken pox as a kid. You can get them again, which uh, is very unlikely. Okay, well, let's hope that's not the case. It I don't think itch, that's what so it is. I don't is. think it's chicken pox. So. I don't think it would be either. What's going on in the world of Delaney Howell? Delaney Howell is going to finish her grad classes tonight, hopefully. Hooray! Hooray! How long a break do Either... you get until the next semester starts? Um, beginning of June, so not very. Okay. About three weeks. Well, good. To relax, yeah. put your feet up. Something like that. Excellent. Except you see this this podcast, this daily podcast thing I do. It's kind of a, it's kind of a lot of work, Mike. I know it's like a real job. I know. <laughs> Who'd have guessed that? I've. I'm not a big fan of real jobs. <laughs> or 1099 employees for life. That's right. Full mm-hmm. life. For real. Well, mm-hmm. that is what? fantastic. Now, let's see. We do what? have a good interview today. Sorry, Delaney. What were you going to say? I was going to say, what's going on with you? Oh, maybe not a lot, I guess, is the answer. Oh, you always have something cooking, I feel like. I know, but I, I, kind, of, I kind of don't. I'm really looking forward to the day. Um, it was supposed to rain, so I was all geared up for it raining. And now I suppose it's not raining, it's dry, and it's warm again, so... So you're going to have to do some real work outside. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm going to have to. I'm just <laughs> not... Well, okay, actually, so I've got a question for all of our followers out there. I've got a Kubota as a chore tractor. It's an M9580, and uh, it's got a hydraulic front wheel assist and a left-hand shuttle, you know, reverser. And right now, when I put it into gear, I've got to rev it all the way up to get it to start moving. Once it's moving, then it, it drives around just fine, definitely seems to have less power. My mm. question is, how expensive is that thing that's wrong with it? And is it something I can fix myself? It's not oil. Could it be a filter? What should I look mm. at? Followers who are good with machinery, give me your thoughts. I'm willing to try anything that would uh, save me money. Or Kubota, if you're listening, we are looking for an underwriter, and I'm willing to do a trade-out <laughs> on uh, some machinery repair. I don't have a machine, so I'm going to need something else. Right. You're going to have to need cash. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. But I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll trade them out, either for uh, repair or a uh, new tractor. That would be okay. I would take a new tractor. All right. There you go. See, now you're thinking. Park it there in your living room of your apartment. and. Uh... No, I'd sell it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's see. So that's what I've got going on. A bunch of broken stuff, Delaney. Should we go ahead and talk about the news? Because we do have a pretty mm-hmm. pretty good interview today. Yeah, I think we should. All right. What do you got? Well, less, yesterday afternoon was Scott Gottlieb's cloture hearing. And so the Senate has voted to limit debate 
for his nomination, and they are hopefully setting up confirmation vote as early as today. I guess yesterday we didn't know exactly what the controversy was regarding his nomination, but I uh, saw an article today that said he was a former FDA and CMS official and drug industry insider, and I think that's where some of the concern lines is that he has too deep of ties with drug makers um, and he's going to be regulating the industry or the agency that regulates the drug industry. So I think that was where some of the concern came in. But I, I think he will have that confirmation vote either today or tomorrow morning. And I think it's safe to say he's going to be confirmed. Okay. And uh, on the same vein, we had Branstad, Governor Branstad of Iowa, earlier today, earlier Tuesday, he was, his uh, Senate, or his confirmation was voted, it was approved out of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So that will be headed to the full Senate uh, date to be determined. But soon, I would imagine, if they've already got him out of committee. We're finally seeing some moving then with uh, with those big key players in the Trump administration. That's good. It is good. It's nice to see. Mm-hmm. And other news coming out of Washington, a bipartisan group of 28 different senators are urging the Appropriations Agriculture Subcommittee to ignore President Trump's 2018 fiscal budget cuts. And they are wanting to either maintain or increase funding for the USDA um, and specifically increase funding for the department's Farm Service Agency uh, direct and guaranteed loan programs. And what I thought was interesting was one of the senators sort of leading this, um, what do you want to call it, bill? No, it's not a bill. One of the, one of the senators leading this movement, yeah, okay, is uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Huh, well, he must have some small farmers there in Vermont who... Uh... Need an FSA loan, I suppose. He must have something cooking. I don't know. He just likes to give people free money, I guess. I suppose so. And I tell you what, Heidi and I got a uh, beginning farmer loan from the FSA when we bought our farm, so uh, mm -hmm. I won't say anything bad about it. I think the program is, I'm glad it exists. It allows for a lower down payment and uh, a very, very competitive interest rate, which is nice. Is the is the new farmer's loan, is that part of the FSA? It is. It's the beginning farmer. Well, there's there's a million different programs for beginning okay. farmers. But the FSA does have a beginning farmer loan program. They've got several. The one we used was called the 54550 program, where mm. we put down 5%. FFA gives us or, you know, loans us 45% of the purchase the price. The FFA? F FSA. Oh, okay. And then you need a community bank or credit association to loan you the other 50 percent huh. and so that's what we utilized which was very very okay nice. that's not the one i was thinking of i'm thinking i think of an iowa specific one okay yep and there are certainly those as well let's see in news coming from the other side of the country over in washington state uh the hanford nuclear site which is uh right on the columbia river just north of richland declared an emergency this morning um, as a tunnel which carries uh, radioactive material between different sites uh, collapsed and the tunnel was contaminated with radioactive material. We don't know all that much about 
where things are. There's first responders there and a fire department that is responding. And they have discovered uh, soil subsidence, and they are just worried that it could collapse further. And the uh, note here on thehill.com says the U.S. established Hanford in the 1940s, and it is considered the most toxic place in the U.S., with a local contractor undertaking a $110 billion cleanup of the 56 million gallons of chemical and nuclear waste at the facility. So, got an emergency there. They've uh, barricaded it, blockaded it, and uh, I guess we'll we'll know more on how severe this deal is uh, as time moves on. Mm, Yeah. That's interesting. That is interesting. You got any other news for Um, us, Delaney? I do have a. I have two other quick stories. Um, an update on the Bear Monsanto merger. Bear has now agreed to sell its Liberty herbicide and Liberty Link seed to win the uh, antitrust acquisition approval for Monsanto because uh, apparently South Africa has made this now a requirement for the merger to go through and. This is really the first time that Bayer has acknowledged the fact that they have two related Liberty brands which compete with Monsanto's Roundup Ready Weed Killer, and that would just, they would dominate the market that much more. So I think that's the concern behind it. And though South Africa is a relatively small market, um, there really isn't any other reason given besides that, but still waiting for the U.S. and I can't remember if the EU has given approval for this merger yet or not, but I for sure the uh, United States has not, and the European Union. Yep, I just read that too. Gotcha. Well, while we're on the topic of Bear and Monsanto, this is an older story. This happened about a month ago on April 16th, but it was just reported by Science Magazine in Olmaneta, Italy. A person, an unknown person, attacked a Monsanto Research Center with Molotov cocktails. And uh, they didn't injure anyone, but they they wrote a sign, uh, spray-painted a sign after these uh, Molotov cocktails exploded um, that said, Bayer, criminal marriage, no GMO. And the the poor fella, Jean-Luc Pellet, who runs this facility, this center, said, we don't work with GMOs here. This is in Italy. Italy does not allow the uh, propagation of GMOs, so we don't do anything with them. And uh, was really, really shocked that they were attacked at that plant. And at the end of the day, it did several hundred thousands of euros worth of damage uh, there in Italy on April 16th. So there is still a lot of folks, you know, fired up about GMOs. Mm-hmm. But I think there always probably will be. Yeah, it's probably true. Well, the last thing I have is just a quick crop uh, planting progress report. Uh, The 18 states that produce about 92% of all corn in the United States are at 47% planted as compared to 52% over the last four years. So really, we're not very far behind, even though a lot of the weather in these 18 states has been really, really wet. And for soybeans, uh, the 18 states that planted about 95% of soybeans in 2016 are running a little behind as well. They are 15% planted this year as compared to 19% over the past four years. So really, we're not that far behind for this time as an average of over the past four years, even though we've been having some really wet weather. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that pace slows down with more expected rainfall across mm-hmm. Missouri and southern Illinois and, gosh, parts of Wisconsin. And I saw that parts of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Indiana were under frost and freeze advisories again last oh, night. Oh, gosh. So if it's not one thing, it's another. Well, we know that weather has been affecting the markets, but why don't you read us today's market prices, Mike? Does it look like the weather has been affecting them again today? You know, it does look like it a little bit, but Delaney, I was wondering, before we get to the markets, should we maybe listen to a little bit of uh, Sunny Purdue's conference on uh, Friday? Oh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So another, it, this wasn't really a question, it was more of just a statement, but it is from Ed Griman. He's a cattle producer. Uh, from Northwest Iowa, is that right, Mike? Uh, North Central, up around uh, North Central. Okay. He just had a comment about trade, and it's a relatively short little little blip from the town hall last Friday, but we want to play it for you because we just thought Secretary Purdue had some affirming things to say about trade. Secretary Ed Griman from North Central Iowa, cattlemen up just straight north here. Um, in the past, I've visited with some former secretaries, and There was a comment made to me once, and he said to me, and we were talking about trade, he said, Ed, I'm just the Secretary of 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 Agriculture. And I said, sir, with all due respect, and I think you know this, and I'm glad to hear it, you are the Secretary of Agriculture of the United States, the most productive agriculture-producing nation in the world. And so when you're talking about trade, it's good to see that you're going to stand up there and know that we are number one and that you can be proud of us. Thank you very much. I'm... uh... I'm going to be the unapologetic chief advocate, chief salesman for American agricultural products around the world. And we're going to go, you grow them, we're going to sell them, okay? Thank you. So there you have it, folks. We grow it, he'll sell it. You love to hear that coming from the uh, Secretary of Ag, don't you, Delaney? I sure do. All right. So speaking of growing and selling, now let's talk about the markets. I got a little ahead of myself. No, that's just fine. It's good to get ahead. It means you're excited. That's right. All right. And there's a reason, a little bit of a reason to be excited in the grains today. The corn market was higher. We saw the May contract close one and a half cents higher, finished at 358 and a quarter. December new crop up three quarters of a cent, closed at 385 even. Big move in the beans. May beans up nine cents, closed at 965 and a quarter. November beans up six and a quarter, closed the day at 967 and a half. Looking down at wheat, bit of a spread in the wheat market. May wheat closed higher, three and three quarter cents, finished at four twenty one and three quarters. December wheat dropped four and three quarter cents, closed the day at four sixty four and a half. Looking over on the livestock trade, we continue that seesaw action. June live cattle dropped two dollars eighty today, finished at one twenty four ninety seven and a half. The August contract dropped two sixty, closing at one twenty sixty five. In feeder cattle, the front month May contract down three dollars seventy seven and a half cents, finished at one forty four fifty two and a half. August through November contracts limit down, dropped the four fifty daily limit, closed the day in August at one fifty two fifteen. Lean hogs, the May contract was up 40 cents, closed at 70.30. The June contract was unchanged, finishing the day just like yesterday at 77.37 and a half. Looking at milk, June milk class 3 contract uh, dropped one penny, finished at 15.85. Now, at none of these points, Delaney, did we talk about the price of wood? But wood is a vital part of the ag industry, isn't it? It is. Can you trade wood? I don't know. You can trade lumber. 
Uh, that's oh. the only wood contract that exists. But we're not talking huh. lumber specifically we're today, not. are we? What are we talking about? We're talking biomass, but more specifically, we're talking pellets. Yes, pellets used for power generation. Without giving too much further away, should we turn it over to Dave Malkin from Drax Biomass? Yeah, I think we should, Mike. Joining us today is Dave Malkin. He works for Drax Biomass, which does pellet production. And Dave, you are the Director of Communications and Policy there at Drax. But tell our listeners, and Mike and I, what Drax Biomass does. Sure. Thanks very much, Selene. So, so my company, Drax Biomass, manufactures uh, compressed wood pellets that are sourced from sustainably managed working forests. And the pellets we manufacture are supplied to electric utilities, predominantly in Europe, for use as a low-carbon renewable alternative to fossil fuels. So now I'm looking at, I uh, pulled up the Drax website, you're making wood pellets. A lot of folks in America, when, well, at least me, when I think wood pellets, I think grilling and uh, Traeger grills. How is what you make different than that type of a product? Sure. So, so you raise a great, uh, great point. Uh, when you think about the wood pellet market, there are two different sides to it. There's the, uh, there's the heating market, which would also include um, residential uses like, like for grilling. And then there's the industrial side to the market. And, and the industrial side is really where Drax Biomass fits in. And, and the very simple answer to your question as to how we differ, it's in terms of scale. The industrial wood pellet manufacturing industry typically manufactures at much larger volumes than the, than the retail or the residential side of the market. And that's just because our customers, large utilities, require much greater quantities of the pellets. But I, I mean, to, to, um, to the average person's eye, the pellets look nearly identical, but but their composition, their chemical composition, and their durability and some other attributes do differ slightly. Just because we've got to account for the fact that industrial pellets are are, are more often than not trans, transported over long distances, often overseas, and they've got to retain that pelletized form all the way to their final destination. So these pellets are used as an alternative to coal. How does the science work out that they can produce the same amount of electricity? So, so let me answer that and let me approach that from two different angles. Uh, the first angle, I'll just talk about the energy content of the pellets compared to coal. So I should say that Pelletized wood has a slightly lower energy content than coal does, so that just means that per unit of electricity generated, we need a slightly larger volume of wood. But that 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 what that means in practice is you're, we're just having in terms in terms of sheer mass, we're having Drax Power Station, our primary customer, has to import in in metric tons. We're using more pellets than we were coal. But the carbon footprint is much lower as a result of transitioning from coal to, to, to biomass. So there's the, there's the energy content angle. The, the other angle I wanted to quickly touch on is, is the, uh, the, the, the carbon footprint, which I think is the more important part of the story here. And, and I think to, to talk about this, you, you, you really need to, to keep in mind that coal, gas, 
and other types of fossil fuels produce what's called geologic carbon. So that's carbon that's been sequestered underground for, in many cases, millions of years. And in the process of digging it up or extracting it to produce energy, you're releasing that geologic carbon into the atmosphere, and it stays in the atmosphere forever. Now, you contrast that with biomass, which is biogenic carbon. What that means is that it's part of a natural carbon life cycle that starts with the growth of woody material, Whether and that, that could be trees, it could be crops, it could be any plant matter. And as that plant matter grows, it sequesters carbon from the atmosphere. Eventually, that plant or that tree is cut down or it dies or it's burned. The, the carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere, and then it's resequestered by subsequent generations of growth. So, that's, so it's important to distinguish between geologic carbon emissions and biogenic carbon emissions when we talk about why biomass is so much better from an environmental standpoint than coal or any other type of fossil. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're not necessarily adding fresh carbon, or at least carbon that hasn't been in the atmosphere for millions of years. You're just recycling the stuff that's already there. Exactly. Now, that, that's exactly right. What trees or what material do you use to produce your pellets? Sure. So, so typically we use low-value, low-grade uh, trees and harvesting residues. So let me, let, me, let me unpack those terms a little bit. Um, if you look at commercial forestry, particularly in the U.S. Southeast, there are typically several stages to the process of, of harvesting attractive land. The first real stage is, is, uh, is what's called a first thinning. And this happens at about maybe the 12 or 13 or 14-year mark uh, of a stand's life, and, and I should point out that for southern yellow pine, which is the predominant um, type of tree, that, that the, the most commonly used tree uh, is by Drax Biomass, and also probably the most widely grown tree in the U.S. South um, on, on commercial um, forest tracks, the life cycle is typically about 25 years or so. So at about the 12 to 14 year mark, the landowner will go in and conduct what's called a first thinning, where they remove maybe every sixth or seventh row of trees. And the goal is to really um, promote growth among the remaining trees to increase the overall productivity of the stand and to help the remaining trees grow more healthy, grow more straight, ultimately uh, with the goal of, of, of producing what's called uh, saw log or, or saw timber quality material, material that you can send to a, a sawmill or to, to be used for, for high-value um, forest products. Sure. The thinnings that are removed, which are typically, you know, these small, mature or Im immature, low-value trees, that makes up a large, a large portion of our feedstock, the material we use to make pellets. You then get to about the 18-year mark, where a second thinning is conducted. And again, it's very similar in concept to a first thinning. In this case, the trees are a little bit larger because they've had those, those six or seven years to grow. In, that, in the trees that are removed there, some will go to sawmills to be used to, to make small dimensional lumber. Uh, they might be used to make pallets. If the trees are crooked or diseased, they'll come to us. Huh. And then the, fi the final phase is what's called the final harvest, which another name for that is a clear cut. And that's where 
that's where the landowner or his logging or his or her logging crew will go in and clear all the remaining trees, most of which at this point will be will be uh, saw log quality. So they'll go to sawmills for large dimensional lumber. In that, in in in, in the process of conducting that final harvest, we can often use the tops or the branches from those from those mature trees. We can also use some of the harvesting residue, some of the leftover material that might otherwise just be left on the forest floor to rot. Just so that's generally that kind that, of thing. So so again, more more branches and, okay. and tree um, tops. Um, some if there's any if if there if there are any uh, trees that that kind of naturally sprouted or naturally grew oh. during the during the thinning periods we can use that material as well so oh. so it's basically a lot of the a lot of the low grade material that that doesn't have any other use um from the landowner's perspective and 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 I, I want and I want to point out if you think about where the where the wood pellet industry fits within the broader forest products in, um, market, we really kind of occupy. W- think about it as the lowest rung on on the ladder, or kind mm-hmm. of the lowest end on the value chain. I mean, we we provide a market for the lowest grade material, and then from there you 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 get you get to your pulp and paper mills, like, and then you get to your sawmills. Yeah, so it's it's, like it's all about. Dogs. You're like the hot dogs of forestry. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> all the leftover material, all the low value material, we provide a home for that. And 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 in the process, landowners, we provide landowners with with an additional revenue stream, which they ultimately get to reinvest in their forests. So it's a, it, 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 it's it's a win win for everyone. Why don't you think this technology has taken off in the U.S.? You mentioned. Um, that it's really only in Europe right now, but why isn't the U.S. utilizing this technology? Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things. Um, uh, but first and foremost is is the absence of a policy driver here in the U.S. So the reason the reason the the, the biomass market has taken off so strongly in Europe is because they have mandatory renewable energy targets and mandatory carbon emission reduction targets. And biomass is explicitly recognized as one energy source that is available to meet those targets. We don't have any any comparable uh, policy driver, at least at a national level, level here in the U.S. So that's one reason. Um, the second reason is economics. Um, if you look at if you look at uh, our competitors in the renewable energy space. Uh, specifically wind and solar, um, the costs of wind and solar, particularly onshore wind, has dropped quite dramatically over the last couple of years. Um, so, and, and on top of that, when when regulators and when utilities price uh, wind and solar compared to other renewable technologies that are out there, they often don't account for the intermittency. And so that's so so that so so it, so in essence. Um, Renewable, the the cost of renewables don't reflect the true cost of those energy sources, uh, which which I think when those when those do get factored in, biomass is made. Biomass becomes much more um, much more competitive with those energy with those energy forms. But today, again, it's a matter. It, it comes down to an absence of a of a policy driver and and just economic forces. 
Gotcha. Now there has been some change or some cap and trade policies in Ch- in uh, China in Canada. Um, is anything like that enough of a driver to sh- to cause a shift towards biomass? So it's interesting you mentioned Canada. A number of provinces, particularly um, out west, uh, Alberta is the one that immediately comes to mind. Are looking very closely at biomass as a as as a means of replacing their their coal fired generation. And in fact, we, there are a handful of, of generators uh, further east um, in in Ontario, in particular, that have already transitioned from coal to biomass. Um, but right now, uh, part of the problem that Canada faces—it's uh, it's, not—it's it's not a problem. It's actually a very—it's it's a very good thing from a ratepayer perspective. They have so much hydroelectricity, and that electricity is so cheap that it's—it's it's hard for new renewable technologies to come in and compete in that market. Um, but in terms of bringing existing coal-fired facilities offline, there are a number of of Canadian provinces that are looking at making the transition from coal to biomass. And we think that 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 holds some great promise for our industry over the next over the next couple of years. Has President Trump or anyone in the Trump administration touched on biomass yet? So uh, during during Secretary Purdue's confirmation hearing, he did receive a question regarding um, the extent to which his agency or, or or even if his agency would continue supporting the the export pellet industry and he provided a very a very what, what I consider to be a very positive reaffirming response that they would in fact um, look to support the export the, the pellet export industry as an important component of the broader the broader forest product industry but in terms of um, any signals from the Trump administration regarding uh, a domestic market for for biomass energy, um, we haven't seen anything yet, and, and and I just think it's that that's a function of of um, of the Trump administration's energy policy still still taking shape. You bet. Now, what fires your plants? I mean, I imagine it takes a fair amount of energy to compress these pellets together. Are you guys running yep. on biomass? So, so our so our electricity requirements today are met are met by by the grid. Okay. So in, in, in both instances, Entergy is our, is, our, is our supplier. However, we do have a heat requirement um, to, 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 to run our furnaces, which dry the, the, the green wood chips um, and produce and, and, and prepare them for the pelletizing process. What we use in the furnace is bark and other um, basically waste, waste wood chips. So that so so that's a great that's another great use of 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 of, of an especially low grade material that in many cases does not have an alternative use other than just being sent to a landfill where it's gonna where it's gonna take up space and and emit methane. Um, so that so so that's so that's so our process heat is, is generated by 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 waste by waste wood. Okay. Dave, I have one final question for you. How does sure. the biomass industry, or more specifically pellets, how does that fit into the larger agricultural system? Sure. So, so I think so. If you think about about forest landowners, they're economic actors, just like any other member of the agricultural community is. So they're they're 
looking for ways to increase their revenue stream, to increase their economic viability. And what the pellet industry or the biomass industry does is it expands the markets that these these landowners have available to them, which ultimately helps ensure their long-term viability as a member of as a contributing member of of the of the agricultural of the agricultural sector, and 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 that's a role that we're really proud to play, um, and I think it's unfortunately it's a role that that's all too often overlooked, um, because we because our industry does sit at the intersection of kind of the agricultural sector and the energy sector. I think mm-hmm. the energy sector is a side that gets that gets all the attention, but there is this important component when you look at the impact that we do have on 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 far the positive impact that we have on on forest landowners. You bet it's interesting, Dave, to think about fuel where Delaney and I are in the Midwest when we think ag and fuel. Ethanol or biodiesel are the first things that come to mind. But you guys down there are just as much in the fuel business as Iowa corn growers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now with that yep, yep. We, we, know- we provide we provide a solid fuel and, and whereas those are liquid fuel but but absolutely very very, very similar applications. Now, Dave, tell us, where can folks go to learn more about Drax Biomass? Sure. So folks can go to our website, which is uh, draxbiomass.com, and uh, you, can learn, you can learn more about our different locations. You can learn more about our, our sustainability practices and our, and our broader commitment to sustainability. You can learn a little bit about our management team. Um, and you can learn about, you know, our, our, our values as a company. Um, one of the things that we really do – prioritize is our is our commitment to the communities where we operate and we and we we feel that we have an obligation to give back to those communities and to help ensure that they that they prosper at the same time that we're growing as a company that's right maintaining that uh that part of agriculture the looking after your own community is vital no matter how big you are absolutely Well, Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for sharing a little bit of the Drax Biomass story. We really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on again in the future. It would be my pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thank you again to Dave Malkin. That was interesting to hear a different kind of renewable energies that are an up-and-coming industry. We often think, you know, ethanol, like you mentioned, Mike, and that's just not the case for a people in, I guess, the southern United States who have a lot of trees. That's right, and Drax is based in Atlanta, but Delaney, you went down there and visited with them, and were you in Mississippi? Yes, we were in Mississippi. They have a a Mississippi location and then also a Louisiana location, and I think that they're getting acquiring another Louisiana location, so they've really just provided another market. Uh, We didn't really get a touch on this, but the pulp and paper mill industry in like the early 90s really went downhill because, you know, a lot of people started moving away from using so much paper, and it's kind of provided another market for that lower-grade lumber where the pulp and paper industry used to provide a market. Yeah, so, you know, uh, American agriculture, whether it's in crops, whether it's in livestock or in uh, timber, we're always inventing new ways to make a dollar. Ethanol Mm -hmm. was created because we we weren't generating returns on the farm. And uh, so we needed a way to add value, and that's exactly what uh, Drax is doing down there in uh, the southeast. That's right. Yep, that's exactly right. That's fascinating. Well, tomorrow we will continue our talk about adding value by talking to the pork producers, correct? Yes, that is correct. 
And then Thursday, are we going to get a chance to talk aquaculture, Delaney? I think we are. I've been in contact with Joe Sweeney, who started or is starting the largest indoor aquatic. I don't even know what the correct term would be. Mike, do you? Fish farm. Fish farm. Okay. (laughs) The largest indoor fish farm. And he said he's going tilapia. Yes. And I'm sure Joe will, uh, will square us away on the terminology when we get him on. And uh, so with that, folks, we want to encourage all of you to download us on Facebook, not on Facebook, friend us or like us or whatever it is you do on Facebook nowadays (laughs) at Ag News Daily and follow us on Twitter also at Ag News Daily. But be sure to subscribe to us on uh, iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get podcasts. And Delaney, do you have anything else? Well, tomorrow we have a web meeting, and so hopefully our website, fingers crossed, listeners, will be launched tomorrow. But we will obviously let you know on tomorrow's podcast if that has happened. That's right. Or you can just sit in front of your computer, type in agnewsdaily.com, and just hit refresh every 30 seconds until uh, until it gets there. (laughs) All right. And with that note, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.